Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, here we are, last show of the year. I mean, we're closing down to doozy, aren't we? Yeah, this is a um, good time of the year. I mean, it's uh, it's amazing it how quickly the year has gone by, and um, man, it's been cold. It has been <laughs> cold. The stock market's been cold, yeah. uh, the, but the weather, good grief, that was the coldest Christmas I remember since I was a kid. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you didn't play golf. I, I didn't. I right. actually hit some balls in my backyard, but Did that's you? it. But yeah, yeah, I mean, then I was bundled up and good Ooh. gracious, the wind was blowing. Yeah. You know, I picked up five trash cans full of limbs and, and pine cones out of my yard. You know, it's easily been 70 or 75 some Christmases, and that was the complete opposite. I mean, complete that was amazingly opposite. cold. Yeah. But good Christmas. Hey, yeah. you know, we had a house full. We had a lot of fun. Good. And, uh, good. Ate a lot of food that I wish I hadn't eaten now. But, uh, <laughs> That was Christmas, and now we got uh, we got football today, tomorrow. Yeah, um, Carolina and Notre Dame play. Yeah, yep. uh, Clemson and Tennessee play today, and yeah. uh, and tomorrow we got the playoff games. Yeah, Georgia or Ohio State uh, Bulldogs probably going to win that, but we'll see. Uh, yeah. Ohio State's a good team, and then TCU and Michigan. So right, it's a good time of year. It's a fun time you of know? year. It is. It is. So, uh, but yeah, we we're closing out a tough year in the stock market, though, aren't we? Good grief. Um, you know, bear market, needless to say, it, we're not going to get out of this today, you know, with the, this week with, uh, with the down market. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a tough one, you know. But I think the, the, the article really addresses, I mean, you know, because right. we're getting this question a lot, right? We so are. we're going to spend a whole entire segment on 2023. Right. Crystal where, ball, right? Where does it go in 2023? <laughs> right. That's the obvious question, right? So, you know, is it going to be a deeper bear market? Or is it going to be some kind of recovery in 2023? That's the question everybody's asking. And so we're going to dig into that. You know, we're going to dig into some history of what happened this year, how we got here, and what does history say about, you know, how it looks going forward. Yeah, and then we're going to also talk about taxes and not personal taxes per se, but what does the federal government do with our tax dollars? I mean, there's like three and a half trillion dollars in federal taxes that are collected each year. That's just a massive amount of money. So we're going to dive in a little bit and understand where that's going, some of the issues associated with it, and maybe even a tip or two on how to reduce what you're giving to Uncle Sam. We'll, we'll yeah, talk about that. Yeah, that's a great topic to dig into here. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 27 years experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and I've been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 30 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday morning. Yeah, go check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link uh, to all the podcasts. Uh, historically, man, we talk about a lot of stuff on here. Sometimes they're current events, but sometimes long-term care insurance and kids and money and educational planning and so forth. So a lot of good information on the past podcast and gosh we how, how long we've we been doing i know the the show has been going on since 2011 yeah but the podcast probably six or seven years roughly uh, yeah that's right there's long, a lot of a lot of shows time. out there a lot of shows out there a lot of data a lot of information yeah. Yeah. On, in all those shows and um yeah and you can link to us too on our website um we'd love to hear from you send us your questions we will talk about those right here on the show well john we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week and it's very timely as we're talking about down years, you know, there have been 21 down years for the S&P 500 
over the past 80 years. So if I did my math right, that's about 25% of the time. That, that's right. That's right. I 25% mean, of the time. People don't realize that, yeah. but markets do go down sometimes. They do. They do. And three of those, interestingly enough, three of those 21 down years were consecutive down years. Mm. About 14% of them were, were two in a row, mm-hmm. right? Um, and But however, the average return of those 18 positive years that followed a down year was 20.3%. Yeah, that's pretty good odds. That's pretty good odds. So yeah, so I mean, you know, just statistically speaking, looking at this number, it's interesting. I mean, it means there's, there, if they're, all things being equal, there'd be like an 86% chance that we have a positive year next year. And if it's a positive year, it would be almost a double return aver- on average yep. of the typical year for the S&P 500. It's twice the return. So, now, of course, past performance doesn't guarantee future absolutely. results. We always talk about that. But uh, and it is interesting. I mean, it, you know, 25% of the years are down. Uh, when we do planning, we, we build that in. It's expected the reasons are always different, but it's, it is interesting to look ahead to the year after a down year and kind of see what it's done, which is why a lot of times we talk about, hey, if you're able to invest money, that may be a reasonable solution for you. So Absolutely. we'll dive into to that in your article because that's, that's a good one. Yeah, that's exactly what we're going to dive into here. Um, yeah, is this going to be a deeper bear market you know, uh, next year or is it going to be a cover in 2023? Um you know, obviously, the, the odds statistically are in your favor for recovery, as we just talked about in the fact of the week. But, John, I mean, this is the question everybody's asking in the financial world. And I will just reiterate, you know, these numbers and things we're talking about are past performance. They're not indicative of the future. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't bank on that. There are no guarantees here. But, um, you know, the question is, will we see a deep recession accompanied by another big drop in the stock market? Or will markets work their way to recovery, you know, this year? Um, of course, we wish we could answer that question definitively. <laughs> Better yeah. yet, give you some accurate timing forecast <laughs> yes. about when the markets would turn higher. Uh, would that quite would a certainly be nice, <laughs> yeah. But uh, we all know it's more unpredictable than that, right? I mean, anyone saying they have the answers are either selling something or they're painfully delusional about their own abilities. Um However, I mean, we, we do have history to fall back on, and we can examine that along with some statistics about how markets typically respond, you know, in this type scenario, um, although they're all a little bit different, you know, I mean, there are some patterns. So we're going to dig into some of those numbers today, and we're going to look at how markets have responded in the past at this point in bear markets with lots of uncertainty ahead like we're experiencing this year. I mean, hopefully this is going to help us kind of get a sense of where we are and, and where things might head next year. Yeah, and it's helpful to kind of look back at um, where we've been. It's been a turbulent year. Um, it's easy to forget how we got here because, um, you know, what has caused most bear markets, um, you know, historically has not necessarily shown up this year. I mean, most bear markets are caused by slowing economic conditions, and that leads to lower profits. However, this one developed a little bit different. If you remember back in the summer of 2021, about a year and a half ago, the inflation started to rise coming out of the pandemic and the, the consumer price index jumped to over 5% um, in, in May of last year. And it stayed there for a couple of months. And the Fed kept using that word transitory, which means that they thought it was going to be a, a temporary uptick. And they were talking about supply issues that would work themselves out pretty quickly. However, 
as we all know, it didn't go down very quickly. And in, uh, in September of that year, it went up to about 6% and touched 7% last November. And that's really when the Fed started talking about rate increases. And the initial plan, Steve, was you know three or four small um, one quarter of a percent rate increase starting back in March of this year. So we're, we're rewinding a year from from where we are now, kind of coming right. into this year. And the Fed sounded confident that the inflation you know was was going to head back down. And uh, the December last year CPI actually dropped to four point seven percent. So there were some you know things happening in twenty twenty one. They gave a little bit of idea that hey inflation's there, but the the Fed was very adamant that it was not going to last. Yeah, they thought it would be temporary, you know. And then came January when the Fed saw the early CPI readings and, you know, before the public did, and they started talking about more rate increases this year. And markets panicked, you know, when they started hearing that kind of language. I mean, they hit the skids in January, started dropping sharply into correction territory at one point before recovering by the end of the month. Um, you know, then markets continued down into correction territory in February as the Fed started talking, you know, more about rate hikes this year, perhaps six or seven, you know, one quarter point rate hikes. Um, we all know that was a lot less than they ended up doing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and all the while, though, inflation got worse. I mean, it approached 8% by March, you know, and that's when the Fed really started to panic. I mean, inflation continued to deteriorate. The Fed pivoted to a stronger plan for rate hikes, you know, and then they did this this half percent hike in May of this year. Um, then they followed that by four historic three quarter percent rate hikes last summer into this fall. Um, you know, these continued to the deteriorating projections for rate hikes. They drove the markets lower and into bear market territory down twenty four percent by the end of May. Um, all the while, you know, the economy remained considerably strong with very low unemployment um, and robust housing, a robust housing market <clears throat> last summer. And that really hasn't changed a lot today. Um, so that's what's been kind of odd about this is that it it was all, you know, this bear market we're in today mm-hmm. was caused by, you know, rate hikes and inflation, not by a deteriorating economy necessarily. Um, of course, housing has slowed, but it's still not anemic. I mean, you know, but employment remains remarkably strong, and that's the hallmark of a very resilient economy. Yeah, I mean, you know, back in July, the markets did well, um, kind of hoping the Fed would pull back a little bit on the uh, on the increases. But um, as they continually got data, um, they kept their foot on the pedal until November. And markets have been um, certainly on a roller coaster this year, um, hoping that at lower inflation. Yeah, uh, with easing rate hikes, um, you know, and would 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 help out the economy and not throw it into a recession next year. So finally, inflation peaked at n- about nine percent last summer, and it was about seven percent last month. So the Fed has indicated their intention to decrease the rate hikes to maybe a quarter percent, uh, a couple times next year. Uh, however, you know, investors have now pivoted from worrying about rising inflation. And rate hikes to the traditional concern of deteriorating economic conditions, and that's what you know investors are looking at. You know, this month specifically, um, you know, markets have taken another leg down in December. Certainly wasn't like September, at least not yet. Um, right. But uh, you know, there's more questions about profits and economic growth leading into next year, and you know, a lot of those recession talks have been priced into the market at this point. But that's kind sure. of what's being focused right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And that leads us back to the big question, you know, that we're at today, you know, looking at that history, will we see a deep recession, you know, this coming year um, with another leg down for a deeper bear market? Or will markets kind of work their way higher and eventually find a full recovery in 2023? You know, the opinions about the answer to that are as vast as the predictions about next year's football season. <laughs> they're pretty pretty diverse john yeah, we we think we're gonna win yeah we win all think we're gonna win year. don't we yeah. <laughs> all do <laughs> however we do have some solid history to fall back on um and statistics to fall back on about um you know what kind of picture this paints and what the odds are um for a recovery versus you know a bear market so let's dig in those statistics just a little bit I mean, first, you know, there's the history of bear markets in general. You know, the average bear market lasts about 9.6 months. And this one has now drug on for almost 12 months. Mm -hmm. um, you know, between April 1947 and April of 2022, there have been 14 bear markets ranging in length from one month to 1.7 years. So that's kind of the range, one month to 1.7 years. Severity has been from a, a bit huge drop of 52% in the S&P to a decline of 20.6%, <clears throat> which is kind of the, the minimum bear market. So that's according to Bloomberg. So here we are now with the S&P down about 19% this year. Um, the NASDAQ still down over 30% near its low. Um, so it's all worth noting that, you know, bear markets tend to end before the economy turns positive. Um, that's another fact you have to keep in mind is, you know, you don't necessarily see markets wait till the economy starts positive before they start up. Usually the next bull market starts before recession has ended. So if we are headed toward recession, what does that look like is the next question. Um, well, you know, recession is defined as two quarters of negative GDP growth. Um, and, and, and most economists also Cover, pivot, uh, dovetail that with rising unemployment that's more than 5%. Um, that's kind of the traditional measurement of what a, a recession looks like. So if we have a mild recession, then we might see negative GDP growth for the first two quarters next year and be done with that by mid-year. You know, that's one scenario. Um, under that scenario, we could see markets start higher, you know, by the second quarter. Um, only a few months away. <clears throat> Having said that, I mean, unemployment is a real slow moving cycle. You know, it usually takes a while before you start to see significant moves in unemployment. And we currently stand at near full, um, full employment with only 3.7% unemployment. I mean, that means it would be difficult to see kind of a large scale layoffs that fast um, <clears throat> without some kind of significant event. So, with that backdrop, I would just say it's hard to see a real recession starting within the next quarter. Usually, you know, you're hearing about, you know, daily large layoffs mm -hmm. in that type of environment. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the employment um, status is different this time, and it's really held the economy up. I mean, yes. people are working. So um, another factor to consider really is from a market standpoint is where do the markets head from here? And historically, the S&P 500 has averaged a 22% return over the next 12 months following a 
percent plus drop as we've seen. So, I mean, obviously we don't know if that's going to happen, but those are just some of the, the data points. Um, that's double the average um, that we've seen historically. And over three years following a 20% drop, it's averaged about 41%. Um, and that's still well above the 11% um, historical average annually. So as impressive as those numbers are, they're really just a small part of the picture because there's other segments that have done remarkably well. Small stocks have averaged about 75% return during the 12 months following that low in bear market. So again, we're not trying to predict anything here. We're just kind of talking about mm. history, but you know, having a down market is pretty normal. And historically, right. after a down market, it's done pretty well. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, another important fact is that over the past 80 years, markets have only spent 10% of those months in bear market territory, while 90% of months have been spent in bull market territory going up. Um, you know, that means statistically speaking, you know, just as we quoted in the fact of the week, I mean, you have like a 90% chance that the following months will be positive. So, you know, if you're if you're going to try to sit out the next few months and wait to see what happens, the odds are greatly against you that you could miss a lot of the recovery, <clears throat> and that his, which historically happens after a bear market drop. And while you know it's true that you know half of bear markets do get worse, and you know the one that we're in so far um, could get worse, um, but catching that full recovery cycle is certainly worth the risk, in my opinion you know, to endure some more, the possibility of more downside. I mean, I, I would certainly suggest not to try to time this. Um, yeah. you, you've been through the hard part. I mean, the last 12 months was a tough year, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> very tough year. It's time to, to, to see this out, I think, and, and see some, see the, the good side of bear markets. And that's the recovery. That's the strong market you typically see on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Which leads us to the question of the week. I'll read it and I'll let you, you answer it. What, what should I do to prepare for a possible recession? Um, any, any changes? We get that question pretty, pretty, we do. pretty frequently. We do. Yep. Yep. And you know, as we just alluded to, I mean, you want to stay invested, even put more money into stocks while they're down. Um, great time to buy, you know, with markets down, but you also want to build up an emergency fund. Um, you want to you want to pay down some debt. You try to try to limit debt. Try not to add any debt. Certainly, um, you want to max out your retirement plans. You know, maybe do Roth conversions if you um, if you have a low income year um, to do that in, and and keep your skills up to date. You know, yeah. I mean, if you're in a job that's vulnerable, that you know, if the if if an employment went up, took a spike up, you might be laid off. You certainly want to position yourself to be able to ride out a storm and, and have a good, healthy emergency fund and be able to pivot and mm -hmm. um, get a new job. So, but that's a great question. Um, hopefully it doesn't happen, but if it does, you got to be prepared. Yep. So, all right. Good question of the week. And that leads us up here to our next topic. And that is, um, you know, where do your taxes go, John? Where, where does all that money that leaves my paycheck <laughs> end up? <laughs> yeah. Well, Mr. Ramsey's going to get to uh, enlighten us on this. And this is a good, good discussion. Just, you know, there's there's three and a half million, um, uh, three and a half trillion dollars of taxes that are collected, and it's uh, it's a big number. And you know, most most people, you know, when you look at your tax return, you're like, well, how much did I make? And then how much did they take? Right? What what is my tax bill? And you exactly. know, some people grumble. You know, Uncle Sam taking that. And there's some good uses of that money. Sometimes we feel like it's squandered. Um, but um, you know, the three point five trillion dollars. Um, you know, there's 
there's a lot of things that um, you know politicians don't have a choice on. Um, some things they do, but you know we're going to dive into where the taxes go. There's three main buckets that we're going to talk about, um, and then we'll kind of di- dive down into each bucket. But I'll let you kind of kind of start off talking about the three main categories. Yeah, that's right. So what what do your federal taxes pay for, right? Where did they go? I mean, basically, there's three main categories, as you mentioned, um, for your tax money. Um, first one is interest on the government debt. You know, that's only like 5% of revenue right now that's going toward interest. It is rising rapidly with, with increasing rates. So we'll see what happens there. But that's 5%. And then there's the mandatory spending. That's the big bucket, John. I mean, that's known as entitlement spending. Um you know, it includes a bunch of things we'll dig into, <clears throat> but, um, you know, that's not part of the regular review of the budget. I mean, those things are baked in yeah. and their benefits and things, and that makes up like 70% of the budget. And then the remaining 25% is discretionary spending, which is spent on programs that Congress must regularly review, set aside money for and approve each year. And um, so that's about 25%. And that that's where all the fight usually is about, you know, yep. whether or not to spend money on those things. Yeah. So the first category that we'll talk about yeah. is that interest on the government debt is 5% of the total. Um, and let's just say that Uncle Sam is not working the baby steps, Steve. They, yeah, they, yeah, probably they not. are not following Dave's, you I know, program so. on this. I mean, U.S. government currently has more than $31 trillion in debt and it's counting. Um, and uh, there's a small percentage of your tax dollars that goes towards paying interest on that debt. And the interest on the national <laughs> debt, which must be paid you know, every year by the federal government, it changes based on two factors. And one of them is the size itself, and then also the rising and falling interest rate. So you know, maybe um, Washington should get on a debt snowball. I'm not no, sure. No kidding. Not sure yeah. they understand what that is. But 5, <laughs> 5% is going to interest. That amount is going to continue to grow, which is going to squeeze the other categories as we go forward. So that's one major category. The second one, which we just talked about a little bit, we're going to dive into is the mandatory spending uh, entitlement. Some Social Security, Medicare, (coughs) Medicaid, Veterans Affairs. um, They're called entitlements because the government takes money out of your paycheck to fund them. So, uh, you know, when you get into retirement, you're entitled to those benefits once you've met certain conditions. And you know, this category, Steve, has really gone up a lot since 1962 for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, back in 1965, um, the, the introduction of Medicare and Medicaid uh, was started and has increased significantly over time. 1975, there was an earned income tax credit, which uh, kicked in, and then 1997, the child tax credit. So, um, you know, the population receiving these benefits, as, as you hear, has exploded. I mean, the baby right. boomers, they've entered the retirement age. They've started collecting Social Security. We see people retiring really right. daily, um, you know, that are baby, baby boomers. So they're starting to get Social Security benefits, and then they enroll in uh, Medicare at 65. So there's a big outflow now going from these programs. And you know, all of these factors brought this mandatory spending piece to more than two-thirds, or 70% of the federal budget. And, and there's really no choice on them. There's, um, politicians don't want to tackle these because it's, it's a political you know, nightmare. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the first one is Social Security. That's a big one. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, Social Security is the biggest one for sure. You know, it was created um, to provide income for retired workers over age 65 and accounts for a big chunk of the mandatory spending. It's designed to supplement your income when you retire or become disabled. 
you know, if you were to die before you became dis- eligible, your dependents would receive mm-hmm. benefits. Um, so the type of people who receive Social Security benefits, of course, are retired workers, and their families, disabled workers, and survivors of deceased workers who are eligible. So, yeah, Social Security taxes and benefits are tied to inflation, which means they go up um, as things get more expensive. I mean, even so, the average Social Security benefit for retirees is only about $1,555 per month. So, you know, if you're banking on Social Security to fund your retirement dreams, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're going to want to think again. You know, it's really not enough to live off of. Yeah, it's not. It's not. So um, another big um, part of the mandatory spending is health care. And um, we know that health care is expensive, especially when you get in your retirement years. Um, you know, that's Medicare and Medicaid. And so Medicare is the, the federal health insurance program that provides for coverage uh, for several groups of people, but mainly folks over the age 65. And um, American taxpayers basically fund that through a 1.45% payroll tax on all of their earnings um, and an additional 0.9% tax on earned income over uh, 200000 or two fifty for married couples. Now, the, the employer also contributes the same amount as well. So you've got you know money coming in from employees and employers, and then the other piece of the healthcare is Medicaid, and that's a government-sponsored insurance program that provides health coverage for low-income adults and children, um, pregnant women, elderly adults, and people with disabilities. And so together, both Medicare and Medicaid make up about 20% of the government's budget, uh, totaling more than $1.3 trillion uh, to cover roughly 139 million Americans under both programs. So can't really take that away. You can make some changes to it, but goodness, there's a lot of people that rely on Social Security and and, um, and healthcare. Yeah, certainly depending on that. That's right. <clears throat> and veteran benefits are another small yep. piece of that. Um, yeah, just you know, includes disability compensation, you know, pensions, education, job training, rehabilitation, all that kind of stuff. So that's another piece. And then there's the discretionary bucket, John, um, which is about the 25 percent that yep. we talked about. You know. Discretionary spending is the last piece of the puzzle when it comes to how your tax money is spent. Every year, Congress dukes it out over who gets how much and, and when the, the debate, you know, they, they debate the spending bills. Um, that's always the issue is this discretionary piece. So in other words, these programs are subject to Congress's discretion, meaning that they decide to increase or decrease the funding for certain programs as they see fit. So let's take a look at some of the categories that fall under that. Um, the first one's national defense. Um, the, you know, the defense spending accounts for about half of discretionary spending. So that's the entire military, um, and that funds the Department of Defense for all of its operations. Yeah, and then transportation, roads, bridges, air traffic control uh, is another uh, large bucket. And then you have the uh, Department of Education uh, paying teachers, uh, funding grants to pay for college, uh, federal student loans, um, so forth. Veteran benefits is another piece. VA facilities. Um, uh, there's some health like the CDC, uh, the Food and Drug Administration, National Institution, Institute of Health. So, you know, there's a lot of um, good things on this list. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, sure. you know, Social Security, if some people didn't have that, they they would have They'd nothing. Destitute. So, Absolutely. Yeah, the, so yeah. there are definitely some good programs, um, some waste as well. Um, so let's I just talk real briefly. How, how can people um, reduce their taxes? I mean, that's the key. You know, unless you enjoy paying 
for all, your <laughs> yeah. share of all of this, then you need to do some tax planning. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> you know, doing uh, uh, 401k contributions, IRA contributions to get the deduction today, um, Roth conversions, um, you know, doing uh, donations to nonprofits, you know, donor yeah. advised funds. So there's there's some things that you can do to lower your tax bill uh, today and also in the future. Um, so, you know, I would we would recommend whether it's with us or your CPA sitting down and looking at your situation and seeing if there's some some ways to reduce what you're giving to Uncle Sam. Yeah, take a look at it. Do some tax planning in the new year. That'd be a great uh, New Year's resolution to add to your list. Um, just to position yourself well for the future in terms of your share of taxes. Yep. So good. Good topic. And that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so we have on our website, it's called an asset inventory worksheet. So if you go to moneymd.net um, in the financial resources, um, go go look at this worksheet. It's an Excel worksheet. But here's here's the reason why we want you to do this. If, if you're listening to us um, and you have a, or you don't have an inventory, you need to do one of your assets and liabilities so Matthew and I have had, I know you, you deal with this frequently as well, right. but um, you know, when someone passes away and the spouse is, is left, um, sometimes the spouse has never been involved in the discussions and they have right. no idea mm. what is out there. That's and, a scary situation. And I've run into that a couple of times this year and it's, it's difficult. I mean, you're, you're grieving that you've lost someone, but then you're stressed because you don't know the financial resources you have. And so- right. You know, a, a way to show your love to your your loved ones is to have a roadmap so they understand what they have. Um, we experienced another situation recently with a client that passed away young in their fifties, and they had provided a roadmap for their family. And so, right. still stressful, but the financial piece is coming into into place very quickly, and we can do some planning and relieve that anxiety. So. Go to our website, moneymd.net, get that um, asset uh, inventory worksheet, document what you have, and then share it with your loved one. Yeah, that's a great prescription of the week. That's um, very, very important. So end of the year now is a great time to update that if you have one and uh, get it up to date. List all your accounts, list where everything is, and, and, uh, you know, keep that up to date for your loved ones. So. That's a good one. That brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a happy new year. Happy new year. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 